Yes, it's New Year's Eve. This is the last day of 2023. And it's actually been a good year. I don't know how you feel about the year. I've known, uh, of course, I've known a lot of years now. I'll be 72 in May. But in all those 72 years along the way, there were one or two years in which I'd heard numerous people glad the year was over <laughs> and hoping the next year was better. But, and I think we might have felt that way about 2022, I'm not sure, <laughs> but 23 felt, felt good. In fact, I, th- I worked harder in 23 than I did for most years. And I, now I feel the Lord, anyway, felt good about it. But 2024, we're gonna believe the Lord all the more. Well, dear friends, um, because it is New Year's Eve, I must share something very practical with you that, that we can do, that we all should do. And if we do, it'll make a big difference. It'll make a big difference in the world. It'll make a big difference in your world. And especially will it make a difference in the world of your feelings, the feelings that you have about yourself. And the fact is, they are the feelings that you live with as you get older. Your feelings about yourself, you seem to live more and more with those the older you get. So how would you like to make a big difference to those feelings? So that your latter years, somehow you feel more satisfied with life than you might have otherwise. All right, something very practical today that will make a big difference right there. But first of all, a poem. Who who could face the new year without a poem? Now, this poem is funny, but it's true. Like a lot of things, it's not the whole truth, but within a context, it's true. It is called The Indispensable Man by Saxon White Kisner. Are you ready? Sometime when you're feeling important, sometime when your ego's in bloom, sometime when you take it for granted you're the best qualified in the room, sometime when you feel that your going would leave an unfillable hole, just follow these simple instructions and see how they humble your soul. Take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hand in it up to the wrist. Pull it out and the hole that's remaining is a measure of how much you'll be missed. You can splash all you wish when you enter. You may stir up the water galore, but stop and you'll find that in no time it looks quite the same as before. The moral of this quaint example is to do just the best that you can. Be proud of yourself, but remember, there's no indispensable man. (laughs) So, dear friends, that brings up the problem that we all have to deal with, which is your, your life and mine is very transient. We are here today and gone tomorrow. That, that man or that woman that is here today and gone tomorrow is you. Life is very short. I remember when I first got a new American Standard Bible years ago, and it was in about the year uh, 1976. And I opened the cover and there on the flyleaf on the title page was printed a verse from the scriptures from Isaiah chapter 40. And I'm going to show you on the screen Isaiah 40, uh, 6, 7, 8. And they had taken just a part of this and put on the flyleaf of 
that Bible always impressed me, always stayed with me. But here it is. Here's the, here's the slightly expanded passage, Isaiah 40 from verse 6. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All The answer now is given. All flesh is grass. That all flesh is a reference to you and me. All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the, fa- the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You'd be surprised if you went looking how often in the Bible, in so many places, we are compared to grass, that is, here today, gone tomorrow. Life is very temporary. That is, life in the body as we know it in, in this mortal world. Very temporary. You know, you think when you're young, when you're in your teenage years, you, thought, you think life goes on forever. You haven't got to get very far down the track and you realize, know how very temporary it is. Now, the Bible's very clear that for the man who has no place for God, he is like the beast that perishes. In other words, he's not laid up what he should be laying up for eternity. But still, all the ancients had to, had to come to grips with this problem. Here's what King David said in Psalm 103. And notice again the same metaphor. Verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. And pretty much all the places you find in scripture where it talks about the transient nature of this life how often, how often life is compared to grass and flowers that fade and perish. You'll find in the same passage always this reference to the eternal nature of God or the Word of God. In other words, it's, it's there as a very clear inference that there is life eternal, there, there is grace, but it's only found in one source. Now, King David... Um, because of his sin, he brought upon his home and upon his family and upon all the years that followed for himself a great deal of grief. You read the scriptures about the grief that was brought to him. And when he wrote Psalm 39, he must have had a lot of that in mind. I'm going to read you from verse 4 to 13 of Psalm 39. He starts with a prayer. He says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you've made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. 
I am mute. I do not open my mouth for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke. Now, he was, he was under a severe penalty. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. David's family was largely consumed, burned out as a result of his own sin. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. He comes back to that theme. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I, I'm a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. So um, he, obviously, he had some tough times. And yet through it all, he clung to the Lord who was his eternity, as is yours. I, um, when I was still a cadet in the Salvation Army, I went to a funeral one day conducted by a Salvation Army officer who was the local, uh, the local pastor. And it was the funeral of, of some man that had died who was not a Christian. His family was not Christian. And uh, anyway, this Salvation Army pastor, you know, led a fairly basic Christian funeral for the man. And, and, but part of it was that he read Psalm 90. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, that's a bit raw, you know, to be reading <laughs> at a funeral service for a, a person who in a family doesn't really have the faith. They don't have all the other things to put in the context. You know, when you pull some of these things out of context, they can look a bit raw. And yet Psalm 90, now Psalm 90 was written by Moses. And you can't imagine that anybody had a more difficult life than Moses. Perhaps not his early years in Egypt, but then of course he had to flee at 40 years in the desert and that wasn't the worst of it. When he finally had that last 40 years, he was never without trouble. And yet the remarkable thing about Moses, he was so faithful. Scripture says in all of God's house, persevered, persevered, persevered with leadership and yet through 40 years of nonstop trouble. Now you've got to bear that in mind when you read Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is full of truths, but you bear in mind it was written by Moses who had seen nothing but trouble all his days. And so it has a context. Well, anyway, here it is. Um, we, we read the whole thing. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you'd formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass. See the grass comes up again that is renewed every in the morning. Um, in the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger by your wrath, we are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. But their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 
Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us and for as many years as we've seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. If you, if you took the love of God and the salvation of Christ that's available to us and all else that the word of God has to say to us, you'd be left with his more narrow view of how difficult life is. And, and uh, almost come to that point where Solomon was at for some time on the meaninglessness of it all. But you sitting here today, like me, most of you at least anyway, you know and more than that. You know the word of God. You know his love. You know all that was provided. You sit here at this point in history where the purpose of David's life has been worked out. The purpose of Moses' life has been worked out. They could see so little, yet, yet they were faithful through it all. It brought huge outcomes in history, which has meant something better for us. And ultimately, we are assured by Scripture, ultimately it meant something better for them. Here we are with this much bigger context. Christ was born. Christ lived. Christ died. Christ is resurrected. Christ is ascended. It has changed everything. The fact is the author of life himself has, has so put something in place for you that life eternal is available. It's not a case just only of this narrow, more narrow context of here today and gone tomorrow. That, that's, to, to only think that you've really got the blinkers on, yes, life as we know it in the body is very temporary. And yet while in the body it is given to us, it's freely available to us to pick up on something that is really life, life eternal, it gets rooted in us while we're still in the body and that never fades and dies. That is eternal. The truth is that the, the, the one who has eternity in him, that is the eternal word of God. The, the word of God is a person. And when the word of God comes within you and takes up residence in you, you have allied yourself with that person who is called the author of life. This is the astounding thing. And it's only in the light of all of that should we read these other Psalms. In other words, there's a prior truth. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 4. He said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's only these words that produce life. Now, there's interesting, the interesting story is the one about Mary. Now, here's Mary, young teenage girl, um, a simple, pure-hearted, virgin, worshipper of, of God. The angel comes to her and says, um, well, he says what he said. You, you're familiar with the Christmas story. It's Mary's reply that's interesting to us. She hears what the angel has to say, 
about the fact that she's been chosen to carry this child. She is a virgin. She asks a simple question, how, how is this going to take place, seeing I am a virgin? And the angel tells her, the Spirit of God is going to plant this within her. Well, she makes, she makes this final reply. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's, that's the most interesting thing. Now, the word she's referring to is not a word that's written in a book. There's nowhere she could look up a, a prophetic scroll and say, ah, you know, there's, there's where it says that, that Mary will bear the Christ child. No, it's, an angel is brought to her the word of God. The word of God is always bigger than a book. Now, that book, the Bible, is the word of God. But the word of God is bigger than the book. Christ himself is the word of God. And this is why Jesus said, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. In other words, everything that's in God's heart toward you, everything that the Spirit of God whispers to you, uh, every, all, all aspects of the life he tries to build in you. This is the word of God. Christ living in you is the word. Now in Mary's case, she says, let it be done to me according to your word. And for all we know, the moment she says, let it be done to me according to your word, that seed was in her. The, the seed of the word of God instantly within the womb and began to grow. Let it be done to me according to your word. That word is good seed. And when the word of God is in you, that is when Christ is in you, and when you listen to his voice, when you read his words, when you let that word somehow work away in you, it's astounding what it produces. I th we thank God. So the eternal man, the Lord Jesus, the author of life, when you become one with him, you share his eternity. Outside of that, we're grass. We're the flower that fades. The beauty, as it is, as it is, the body, the body does fade. The youthful beauty fades off. It's deceptive. Bible says that beauty is deceptive and that charm is fleeting. It doesn't last. What does last is the person you become. And soon for all of us, the body goes to, its, uh, to, goes to the grave. But if you have built a life in which the word of God is in you, that never perishes. The body one day will be resurrected, of course. But um, so here in Luke 6, Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. Now he puts, this, this is like a double-headed thing here. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears the word and does them. You've got to add on this, and does them. The heart, in other words, the heart has to not just hear the words, the heart's got to respond to the word. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been so well built. He's talking about your life. 
Your life will not be shaken. Your faith not shaken. Your purpose not shaken. Your fruitfulness not shaken. Your life stands secure when it is built upon hearing and doing what Jesus said. But then he makes the comparison. The comparison, you know, the, the, the fellow who builds his house on the sand and the storm comes and it breaks. In other words, his life breaks. That's not comparing it to someone who didn't hear. It, Jesus compares it to someone who heard and did not do. In other words, they heard it, but the heart didn't respond. It didn't submit. Here it is in verse 49. But the one who hears, there it is on the screen. The one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built on the ground without a foundation. Anyway, that brings us to this last little passage I want to show you. And that's John 15. This is where it kind of comes together. In John 15, first of all, verse 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. Um, You live in Christ. Christ lives in you. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now he goes on to expand on this, and it's this little expansion I want you to take to heart today. He says in verse 7, 8, if you abide in me, in other words, if you live in him, you dwell in him, you remain in him, you walk with him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you let him speak to you, you read his book, you sit quietly with him, you, you take to heart what he says, you let your heart respond to it, walk in what he says. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. What you find is your words then have power. You're no longer just the grass that perishes. You're no longer just the flower that the beauty fades. Something is enduring. And the astounding thing is your word has power. Isn't that an astounding thing? It's like the night I I sat at the table with Hazel at home, flood bearing down in Rockhampton. We were about to fly to go out to the on a trip around the world, but but we had this huge flood bearing down. I knew it would go all through the hangar. It'd be a terrible cleanup and what a mess. We'd go through the school, we'd be cut off from this building three weeks. But there at the kitchen table on a Saturday night, I I just said, Lord, would you flatten the flood? That's all I said. An instant witness. The the word had power. The Lord took it up. I I just stopped. I turned to Hazel. I said, that was a prayable prayer. An astounding outcome. Water didn't come anywhere near the hangar. Despite all the preparation, um, as we left on the plane, all these barricades around the main terminal out there so water wouldn't get in, None of it was needed. Water came nowhere near it. That, that wall of water bearing down on the city suddenly disappeared when it crossed the city boundary. What's that? That's power in prayer. Like the story I told recently driving along and all of a sudden this car goes flying off the road and we said, Lord Jesus. I go running back. Here's the car, undamaged, sitting there, not, not rolled, not crashed, driver not killed, just not even scratched driver. You know, that's, 
In other words, words have power. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Suddenly, you who, if you had ignored the Lord, you'd be like the beasts that perish, the scripture says. But you've not ignored him. If you listen to him, your heart responds to him. You say, right, life is all about being full of Jesus, being in Jesus, his word in me. Ah, all of a sudden, your words have power. He gives you the promise, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But he adds this, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The direct implication here is that if you will pray, make your requests known to God and he answers them, this glorifies God. In other words, the Lord's very happy about the fact that you get your prayers answered. It's for, it's to his glory that your prayers get answered. But prayers don't get answered that are not prayed. Anyway, this brings us to the very practical thing that I want to give you to do that I said will make a big difference to the world, it'll make a big difference to your world, and it'll certainly make a difference to your world of feelings about yourself. Right? Here it is, a very practical thing. You do a little homework and make a list. Thankfully, Santa has disappeared for another year. Isn't that funny? He's all of a sudden there for a little while and then suddenly he's not there, he's gone. It's because he's not real. You're Santa, as we all know, once you have kids, right? Well, take a lesson out of that figurative person's book and start making a list. And he only checks his list twice. You're going to check your list every day. Only a short list. But on that list, you're going to record two kinds of things. A short list of the things you want God to do in 2024. Now, the the focus is 2024. Forget New Year's resolutions. Instead, a list of the things you want God to do. And the other kind of thing that will be on the list are the things that you want to do. But of course, they're also prayer goals because you need God to help you do them. Now, to start your list, here's what you do. The first thing you record are the promises he's made you. What are you conscious of with respect to promises God has made you? And if you don't have any, you'd better ask the Lord because he loves giving a promise, especially a promise that seems impossible. He loves to do that. This is the first thing on your list. And yes, years ago, he promised me something that seems impossible and I can't make it happen but it's the first on my list. Would I ask you to do something I wasn't working on myself? No, 
I'm making my list and I've already checked it twice. Now, so you record the things God has promised you and I have got about six because that becomes the stepping stone for you believing God for the things that are going to happen, things that are actually going to happen in answer to your prayers. Now, quite apart from things promised, there are, if you'll stop and think about it, things you really want to see God do this year. It might include a healing that you need in the body or a healing that your husband or wife needs or one of the kids. Put the healing you need on the list and start believing to get that healing this year. This week if you can, but it's on 2024 list. The Lord might have promised you a better job or any number of things. It's all going to be on this short list. You don't have to have a short list, but a short list is more likely to get prayed over than a long list. And really what I'm saying is, if you don't have very specific things that you are believing God to do, you are wasting your days. Life is not long. It is transient. Every one of you every day is getting older. For every one of you, unless you're a child and your teenage years are still ahead and your 20s are still ahead, the flower has started to fade already. You notice that these footballers and cricket players are barely in their 30s and they start thinking retirement. Some of them retired prior. Why is that? Because even at that young age, they're not as good as they were. And someone 10 years younger is now all of a sudden better than they were. The flower is fading. Friends, I realized back a bit, most Christians are wasting their time because they're not actively believing God. Now, all of us have faith in that all of us believe our sins are forgiven. All of us believe Christ died for our sins. All of us believe our names are written in heaven. All of us have some confidence in the Lord and some sense of peace about the future and about eternity in particular. But if that's all you have, you are selling yourself, you're selling your potential inheritance short. It's not a case of you get saved, your sins are forgiven, and now you can just relax and drift. The, the most beneficial thing you can do is have something that you're believing God for that hasn't happened yet. Active believing. In other words, an active faith, not a passive one. So on your list of things that you are going to believe God to do in 2024, why would you not believe for the awakening of Australia? Why would you not believe for the joy of this city, the real unity of the body of Christ and the raising of church leaders into such harmony and oneness? Why would you not believe for new converts here every week? Why would you not believe for better health for you and your family? 
How about believing for no migraines, no nightmares, you know, no sicknesses in the kids. How about believing for better sleep for your children? You know, practical things as well as the salvation of your neighbors, you know. You, now, it's up to you to, to what, look, when you sit and start thinking about it, and it might take days or weeks to figure everything to percolate properly, you should be able to boil it down to things you really, really need to see God do or want to see the Lord do this year. That should go on a list. Absolutely should be on a list. Then there are the things that you yourself want to achieve. You, you might want to achieve the paying off of the mortgage on your house. You might want to achieve uh, a study goal and the finishing of a course. You might want to achieve uh, you know, better physical health, strength, whatever, live longer. But you still need God's help, the Lord's help for all those things. And so it's not as if it's two lists. It's kind of on this list are two kinds of things. Things that only God can do in answer to your prayers, but things that you yourself have a big part in helping to bring about, like focusing on uh, paying down mortgages or focusing on better health outcomes or the like. In other words, so get them all on the list and uh, start with that. What has the Lord promised me? These are the things then I must obtain from the Lord. You will, look, you will see better health outcomes, better outcomes in the family. You'll see better finance and property outcomes if you will take the time to follow this instruction. But it's not only about you. It's about the city you live in, the nation you live in, the whole direction of the world, the Lord's hand on politics and rulers and leaders, the Lord's hand on the economy of the nation. There's all kinds of things you can think about. Remember, it's not just about you, but at the same time, you'd better begin with the things you feel the Lord has promised you and the things that you yourself must obtain. Could I say, the things that you are specific about. Now, writing things down is not the only way to be specific. Some people have a good enough memory and good enough personal discipline that they go to the Lord regularly in prayer about certain things and they see outcomes. I, I was amazed recently, but it's not the only time that I pulled out an old prayer list that I had made up five or six years ago that had on it some things that seemed really, really big, like impossible, things to do with finance and property, you know, development. We had, we had no carports. Uh, we, we had nowhere to park cars in shade, for example. You know, there was no camping trailer. There was no caravan. There were none of these things. But I discovered an old prayer list from five or six, seven years ago in which all of those things I had listed, and to my amazement, we had it all. 
I had all of that. Where did it come from? The fact is I wrote it down and prayed and asked the Lord. And then along the way, mostly forgot to pray about it. But five or six years later, oh, yeah, all that's been done. Better write up a few more. (laughs) Anyway, this is very practical advice. And, you know, you can be, you can kind of drift like a lot of people do. But if you want to do something that is not hard to do, very practical. And if, yes, it's going to take a little bit of thought, sit and think about it. And yet in the end, what's going on this list of the things that are near and dear to your own heart. And believe me, if you do none of this and one year drifts into the next, you end up less happy with yourself because you feel later on like the canker worm, you know, the caterpillar has eaten too much of your potential and the years drifted away. Whereas focus on one year and the the advantage of focusing on one year is that instead of having a faith that says, oh, one day, you've got a faith that says, Lord, I want to see you do it now. That makes a huge difference. So, friends, would you take the time? And it might be a good idea to make a start before this year ends. So at least you start the new year with something clear in your mind. So you ready? Uh, Making your list, checking it twice, checking it again the next day and the next day. Because... um, in the last week, I have improved my list three times over, and I've now got a list that I think, man, because what, what I want to do is I want to end up with a list that I can print on a card, a piece of cardboard or a piece of paper, no bigger than this. I'll probably get it, go to Office Works and get it laminated. And the beaut- uh, thing about that size is it can go in the rear pocket and come with me everywhere. So I can be very clear, Lord, I am believing you. I could rely on my memory, but somehow if I write it down, they're real goals. And I'm much more likely to, when I'm emptying my pockets at the end of the day and the wallet comes out and everything else comes out and and goes on the cupboard, ah, prompt, a prompt, a reminder, an aid memoir, Dear friends, you will see more prayers answered if you are systematic. And you'll certainly see more prayers answered if you say, Lord, I believe. You said it. I believe. Thank you. No more powerful word in all the language than thank you. Lord, thank you. Thank you. That's what you're doing. Thank you. You heard my prayer. Thank you. You're acting on my behalf. And friends, you have the Jesus word for it, that this glorifies God. You getting answers to prayer glorifies God. And so you will have proven yourself to be fruitful. In all of that then, remember the prayer of Moses, Psalm 90. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. 
And David's prayer, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Yes, you meant to bear this in mind. Those two dear men, David and Moses, who wrote really what are frightful passages of Scripture, (laughs) yet embedded with glorious things. I mean, who can do better than Moses? Lord, you have been our dwelling place for generations. Moses, wonderful. But his prayer, teach us to number our days aright. So friends, uh, Moses also said, by the way, in Deuteronomy 33, the eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. Well, we praise God. He helps us in all things. Let the band come. And we're going to share a few moments of prayer. We're going to believe the Lord together. For those who gather at our house tonight, yes, we'll spend a bit more time believing the Lord together for the year that is to come. And there you have a wonderful opportunity too of taking a few moments to believe the Lord for your own personal promises. That's tonight at at seven for those who can make it. Uh, Let's hope your arrival and or your departure does not coincide with another big storm. We got 38 mil last night. Uh, um, Mind you, I won't uh, be unhappy about the water, but (laughs) uh, if it looks threatening, bring your umbrella. Now, um, so uh, in a moment, they will lead us in a closing song. But you and I, we're we're, going to just bow our heads now and, and quieten our hearts before the Lord. Set, set this in your heart as a truth. God hears your prayers. Don't listen to the lie that says you don't get your prayers answered. You do and you will. God answers my prayers. I say that all the time. Why would you say something different and ruin the power of your prayers? Why would you think something different and destroy the power within? It's got nothing to do with what you feel. It's got everything to do with the objective truth of the universe. God hears and answers prayer. And we pray them. So take the advice of Jesus and ask and ask and ask. But for every asking, let there be a thank you. Because, and why do we say thank you? And it's not just because we're grateful. It's because we believe Humble your heart now with me, our Father in heaven. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus that we gather this morning and humble our hearts before you. And thank you for all the years of prayer that you've heard and answered. Thank you, Lord, that even though weeds have grown in our lives, your grace weeds them out. I thank you, Lord, you're continuously working with us making us a better people. And I thank you at the same time, you hear the cry of our heart so that what is worked in us is not only the will of God, but you answer our own prayers 
even those things that go beyond. Because you've said, you've said, oh Lord, how willing you are to answer our prayers. How good and how pleasant it is. Not only when brethren dwell together in unity, but when you hear the, the cry of the heart, the prayers we pray together, and we see such powerful answers. Right, Lord, we thank you. And our grace be upon every heart here today. I ask, O Lord, that you'd put within the hearts of these believers a renewed faith, a refreshment in understanding the ways of God. Holy Spirit, come. And Lord, you are well aware of the things you've promised every one of us. I doubt there's anyone here that does not have a promise from you, even if they haven't heard it. Lord, from knowing you, I'm, I'm confident you, you have numerous promises in your heart that are toward every person sitting here. And I ask, Lord, that you'd make those promises all the more known, all the more known to these, your people. And grant each one grace by which they walk in a living faith, not just a sleepy one, but an active one, alive and active, stirred up by zeal and by the power of the Spirit. I ask, O Lord, you'd put into every heart today a desire, a deep desire, a, a yearning to have prayer answered and to walk with God. So Lord, now your blessing then on every heart, upon every home, upon every marriage, every family, upon all the children. And let the hand of the Lord be upon those who have not been walking with you. And yet we know them and love them. I thank you, Lord, unbeknown to us, you're at work in them and you will bring their lives full circle. Thank you. Thank you for the pruning you do of our own lives that we will be all the better for it. And now, Lord, make yourself known, I pray. I ask, Lord, that for every person here who sits and begins to ponder with pen in hand what to believe God for, I ask that the, the witness of the Spirit would come to every one of them. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill them and hear the cry of their hearts and make 2024 a most fruitful year full of answered prayers. Thank you that you hear our cry. And now the blessing of peace of God the Father, God the Son and of God the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon every one of you now, today and in all the years to come. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.